Hey guys, welcome to this catch up of the ETF newsletter, Exchange Traded Fridays. So this is from ETF Tracker and we're gonna take a look at uh, what you might've missed out on, or if you are a subscriber, um, what you might not have been able to read uh, from Friday. So we'll go to that page right now. So I've got the newsletter uh, in front of me. So this is for uh, Friday, uh, July 23rd, 2021. So each Friday, we're gonna put something out and the structure of the newsletter, um, for those of you who might not have seen it, so we've got articles to begin with, and then we're also taking a look at a couple of videos that are of interest um, to the ETF markets or markets in general. There's also a couple of podcasts, and then we also take a look at some data. Um, in this case, it's from ETF Securities and they have their weekly ETF monitor. ETF Tracker relies on monthly data. So that monthly information from the ASX and ShyX we, we put out once a month. So there'll be some info on that when that comes out. Um, there's also a tweet of the week. Um, in this case, it's an SEC and Bitcoin um, kind of funny tweet. So if you're on YouTube, you can see that. If you're listening on the podcast, uh, you won't be able to see that. So make sure you take a look at the newsletter. There's also a chart of the week and that might come from ETF Tracker. It might come from other analysis that we've done or it might come from outside. Um, there's a lot of other providers out there doing some really cool stuff. And then we've also got this thing on uh, further ETF education. So a lot of the subscribers that are looking at this channel, uh, they're looking at how to get involved or how to further their insights into the market. We had a chat with uh, Martin Din from the ASX just about historical distribution yield and how that's all calculated. We were curious as well as many of our readers. So there's a good um, link to a blog about that. We've got some links back to the ETF Tracker app as well as the ETF Tracker forum. If you're not already a member um, in the ETF Tracker forum, uh, it's a lot more insight that comes um, on a more regular kind of basis. So each time there's something interesting that viewers or myself um, might see in the news, we'll post it there, whether it's a video, an article, or a little bit of analysis or a question. Um, there's an area for feature requests as well. So if people want that kind of information, you can get it there. Then there's finally the social media um, kind of links. So if you want to follow along on YouTube where you might be watching this or Instagram or Twitter or TikTok, you can see uh, that information there as well as an example of one of the videos that we did for the Australian um, financial year 2021 year in review for ETF Tracker. So let's go back to the top. We're gonna to take a look at some of the articles that uh, came out. So um, one of the first ones was this one on small cap ETFs growing fast as younger investors aim for low costs. So in the ETF tracker or the Exchange Trade Fridays newsletter, what we're gonna do is take a look at each of these kind of articles uh, and we put a summary um, on there. So if you're interested in that, you can click on the header to see um, further information there. So the summary was that looking at uh, the growth of younger investors in the ETF markets as higher house prices push investors to other markets. Additionally, um, a look at active versus passive as well as other topics. So let's take a look at this um, first article. You can see here at the top, I had a few of these open already when we were doing a test run. Um, so this is from smallcaps, uh, smallcaps.com.au. And as the name implies, you can tell what kind of companies that they We'll look at um, they start off here with is 
if there is a breakthrough uh, financial product tailor-made for the times that we live in it's a humble exchange traded fund or etf while funds that track share market indices are quite old now it's only in recent years that their popularity has soared um, and the idea behind ETFs is simplicity itself. Um, we, we know that from being uh, ETF investors. Instead of actively choosing shares within an index such as the ASX 200, why not simply buy the entire index, which includes the good, bad, and ugly companies? And they've got a couple of sections here. They talk about active managers struggling to better the passive approach. And we see that in the data. There's a lot of um, active ETFs out there, and that place is growing. There's um, benefits to being inactive in that it doesn't just track an index. It's built to try to, you know, outperform an index or a benchmark. But that's not always uh, what happens. There are some active ETFs that do really well, and there are some that have struggled because the markets are hard. Um, as investors, you guys will know this. Like, it's not easy to get great performance. And if you have, with little effort, I'd put that down to luck, or maybe you're following like a good guide. But anyways, um, they talk about uh, a little bit about active um, versus passive there. Um, you know, active managers who only buy some of the shares in the index in the hopes of outperforming fail so often with fewer than 20% actually succeeding every year. So that's worth a look at. And then we talk about high house prices pushing younger investors into the share market. That's definitely the case. I mean, I've seen it personally. A lot of people that want to get into the markets, uh, housing markets, are just precluded from doing so, even though maybe a year or two ago they would have been fine with the type of deposit that they've got. So that's been a tailwind for ETFs. Um, it's been skyrocketing house prices. So it's led to many uh, millennials and other younger investors putting their savings in the share market instead, as the article states. Um, the latest half-year review of ETF shows up this trend with the industry steaming effortlessly past the $100 billion mark. So as of the time of writing, this is July 19, it's definitely well past the $100 billion mark. We've done uh, an addition to the ETF tracker, the update for CHI-X numbers that came through. So we were at $113 billion, we're up to $115 billion, and we're at the halfway point of the year. So where it gets to by the end of 2021 looks very likely unless something crazy happens a black swan event of some sort um you know we had a big black swan event last year and they just drove more investment up so even if there is something negative further this year with the delta strain or whatever uh, it's very likely that we'll be over that 120 billion dollar mark so we'll see how that goes um so growth and new money both driving etfs higher so not all of the 20.6 billion rise in just six months was due to the flow of investor funds um, just under half of that growth was due to inflows, which is still a considerable uh, amount. So net new money for the half year was $8.8 billion, uh, up from $8.3 billion in the first half of 2020. That's according to BetaShares uh, research. And they talk a bit more about some of that growth. And then they talk about the scene is changing, but big index funds still are the most popular. Uh, we definitely see that. Um, the most amount of money goes into what are called the core type funds. So VAS for um, the Vanguard All Australian Shares Index, STW is another one that tracks, um, I think it's ASX 200 or 300, um, NDQ tracking the NASDAQ. So those big major broad-based index plays are definitely the ones that have the most amount of money going into it. But oftentimes you will get um, some other outliers that come in and crack that top 10, top 5, the, those top lists. Some of those have been the closed-ended funds 
that will list on the ASX or TRIAX and actually take their total fund before they became an ETF. So they were um, an unlisted fund and they build up a amount of assets under management or funds under management. Usually when an ETF lists, it starts off with practically nothing and it has to grow that organically. Whereas some of these other funds, whether it's the latest one from Monash Investors, now M-A-A-T, which was an LIC before, or it was um, some of the Magellan ones. Um, there's a Loftus Peak one and a few others. Hyperion, uh, Hyperion um, Global Growth type fund as well. So those types of funds will list on the ASX and they take their funds under management with them and they grow that further, which is good. Um, so definitely something to be aware of there. And then something that we saw in the data and we highlighted was that international equities are the biggest winner. Um, we want, uh, I'll see if we get time to show it here. We'll go through the articles, but when you take a look at ETF tracker and you're at the dashboard page, you, you'll see that the, the biggest um, thing that comes up to begin with is actually the, um, sorry, you, you've got the categories, the ETF categories. So there's performance and then there's net inflows and there's FUM. And when you take a look at the FUM tab, uh, you'll see that equities are the biggest winners in terms of where most of the money goes and it is global equities first and then domestic equities so so that's definitely something to look at so that's the first article there from small caps talking about how etfs are growing faster share cafe is up next and they talk about what is driving the demand for fixed income etfs and this is an article that's written by russell investments um, so if you're investing they've got a couple of etfs so definitely take a look at those um, they look at what's driving the interest in fixed income ETFs. So um, this includes the outlook for rates and inflation. So let's take a quick look at that one. So Share Cafe is another great site. Uh, if you're not already aware of these, this is also the purpose of the ETF tracker exchange trade Friday's newsletter to highlight some of these great um, insights for, for different bits of news that are around the market that you might not already be aware of. Or if you are, that's great. Um, if you've got some other ideas, please join and subscribe and make sure that you you tell us what uh, some of these other ones are so that we can add that to the list and just share the education. So we take a look here, um, again, talking about the $100 billion mark that was passed earlier this year. I think that was April or was it March, March or April? Um, so growth about 80%. So by June, it was actually 73. So it's probably a little bit more than that now that we've added Chi-X there, but around between that 70 um, to 80% growth rate and talking about fixed income ETFs, they're definitely a big kind of group. Um, they are behind equity ETFs. Um, we can see that a lot of people have been choosing this as part of their risk management uh, at the onset of COVID-19. So uh, having fixed income does help with that more defensive part of a person's portfolio. So they've got a table here and they take a look at some of the um, uh, different ETFs provided by Russell. So there's RCB, the Russell Investments Australian Select Corporate Bond ETF. that has 11 holdings. There's a Russell Investments Australian Semi-Government ETF that's got 10. And then the uh, Russell Investments Australian Government um, Bond ETF. So the first one's semi-government. The, the next one is the main government ETF, RGB. That's also got 10 holdings there. So you can see some further details about that. They talk about their outlook um, for rates and inflation. And they talk about here with the RBA um, policy, 
expecting that global spike in inflation is transitory, so driven by base effects, i.e. very weak inflation last year, leading to higher inflation this year, and some supply chain bottlenecks. Um, they're starting to see some of the products that saw in uh, saw significant price rises earlier in the year come back. This includes lumber and ship prices. I've seen that in the news. A lot of like wood type companies and providers of services in that space um, were spoken about in the news in US markets quite a bit. In Australia, we're due to get the inflation reading for Q2 2021 in the coming week, which will show a significant jump for the reasons mentioned above. So Australia is not alone there in terms of how um, the global wider supply chain effects um, can can definitely affect us here. We've got a chart here looking at the unemployment rate as well, and they've got a paragraph on that. So um, growing number of anecdotes about wage increases both here and abroad. However, we do not expect that this will lead to a broad-based wage pressures over the next 12 months. Firstly, despite the very strong incentive, sorry, despite the very strong improvement in the labor market, there is still some spare capacity to be absorbed without getting into too much economic jargon for broad-based wage pressures. We think the unemployment rate has to be in the low 4% range. The current estimate of the natural rate of employment, given the unemployment currently is at 5.1%, we still have some way to go before reaching that level. So there is also the reopening of the border sometime next year, which will add to the capacity of the domestic labor market as foreign workers return. And looking at that chart there, they've labeled the rate that um, the RBA and government would like to reach. So it's just between four and 5% and we're still at 5.1 um, as mentioned. So that's as of 30 June, 2021. So what does that mean for the RBA? I mentioned that here, we talk about government debt to GDP a little bit further. And then jumps into ETF innovation and what um, investors are demanding uh, for more specific exposure through ETFs to different maturity buckets across the yield curve for fixed income ETFs. So definitely worth a read if you're in or you're into or you are interested in um, uh, fixed income ETFs. So take a look at that one. There's a really good one next, which is from Risk Return Metrics. We've been doing some really cool stuff in the LIC markets. So We'll let that one load, but it's a very, uh, I would say, comprehensive report from um, risk return metrics. So the ETF and LMI specialists. So this PDF report, when you go to the page here, you get a little bit of detail about what's um, in the report. They've got a rankings, heat map analysis, some peer group median benchmarks, um, hyperlinked index. It is a beefy report, I think 27 megabytes or so, 369 pages. So a ton of effort um, came into this. And you can see uh, Rodney Lather is the analyst. And we've spoken to Rodney a couple of times and he's doing some great stuff over there. So the good thing about this is that you get the overview. They cover 180 ASX and CHIAX listed ETFs. They need a minimum of 12 month track record, which is great, right? Um, so we definitely see more uh, ETFs in the wider market, but they cover the majority of them here, um, given that they need that 12 month uh, track record. So it is uh, quite a comprehensive report. You can look at some of the details here on the front page summary. The next page gives a brief into the uh, the different ETFs by category. So they look at cash, equity Asia, equity Australia. There's um, a couple of different breakups of Australia and they probably get that from the ASX. That's how they 
uh, divide the world, the market. Um, so we do that as well. The cool thing here is that if you see something that you're inter interested in, you can click on that ETF. Um, so we'll click on ATEC here and we get taken directly to that page. There's a couple of fund facts. So you can see the team and the manager of that ETF from BetaShares here. Um, you can see the asset class that it's in, a couple of other metrics like units outstanding, the average volume, inception date, management fees, FUM. Um, you can see the largest holdings as well, which is great. So if you're interested in an ETF and you want to see the largest holdings, you definitely want to take a look at uh, something like this. So um, Yahoo Finance, for example, I know a lot of people would look at Yahoo Finance, that would show the top holdings, um, but they stopped doing that. So if you're looking for some alternative, definitely take a look at this. Uh, there's some details about the fund features. They go into sector exposures there. So in this case, it's majority exposed to the technology sector. What the geographical exposure is, in this case, ATEC is an Australian technology ETF. So we only expect one country there. They look at a value added monthly index. So they're looking at ATEC here versus, let's just zoom in a little bit to make it easier, um, versus the ASX 200 and versus uh, at benchmark of domestic equity large cap sector index. So definitely outperforming um, on that regard. So they look at index excess as well in terms of performance. So how ATEC's been performing versus its peer group and what's the excess. And then a couple of risk and efficiency measures such as standard deviation, sharp ratio, Sortino ratio, beta, which is how well it's tracking versus um, its benchmark, as well as tracking error. And tracking error is very important if you're into ETFs because ETFs that are built to track a benchmark, just how well do they track that benchmark? That's important to know as an investor. Um, let's take a look here. They've got a second page here, which is uh, showing excess returns, yield, manager consistency, a little bit on the drawdown profile and uh, peer index comparisons, as well as some other measures here. So very comprehensive report that is uh, being put out. And as I said, it's 369 pages. So you will find a lot of good details if anyone was ever interested in um, some of those like sports almanacs, you know, the end of year type uh, or beginning of the year uh, previews of your favorite team. This is kind of done in that style, right? So you've got very comprehensive. If you want to go back to the front, you can go to, um, I think it's the second page there and you'll see the full details of all the ETFs that are covered. Um, and I'm sure that's growing. And so if you're interested in ETFs or um, LICs, uh, those other listed kind of products, then definitely check out what our metrics are doing, so risk-return metrics. The next one is of dollars and data. We are all investors now. So this is a great article from Nick Majuli um, over in the US. He's a markets commentator. He documents the rise of retail investing from very early ages of human society to where it's likely headed next. Hint, hint, it's to do with customization. So when we click on this article, we can take a look at uh, his blog. So you can sign up for the blog, search old posts, etc. But um, he said that he recently read a blog post from someone else. And in that it was claimed by the end of this decade, almost everyone who's online will become an investor. It's pretty interesting. Um, he agrees with that assertion, but what he's describing has mostly already happened. He says, uh, over the last few hundred years, and especially over the last half century, investing has evolved from something only done by the rich and powerful to something done by everyday people. And given how much access 
um, has expanded in recent years, the entire world is slowly being brought into the investment fold. We are all investors now. And I think that's true, even without the technology that's come in. Um, just the sheer fact that a lot of us have superannuation and we can see what that superannuation looks like in our bank accounts or other statements. Um, like it or not, we are um, in the investment space. And um, there's there's definitely people that think that, you know, it would be better off to, um, you know, keep all of that money themselves and not be forced to have the nine and a half, 10 percent, you know, going up to 12 by a couple of years from now, superannuation. But there are pros to that as well. So um, they look at the first investment in human history and it was all about food preservation. So there's a nice little image there. Native Americans preserving buffalo meat for future consumption is um, one example of this. And there's many of those across um, the world. The act of sacrificing today in order to have food tomorrow is the simplest and oldest form of investment that we know. Um, but unfortunately, those investments only lasted a few weeks. But obviously, you know, humans learned how to do um, more preservation and keep things for a little bit longer. Um, so we had some further uh, kind of investments there. Then there was the rich investment boom. So imagine you're a merchant living in Venice in the 1500s. You're in a port. It's bustling with trade. However, you don't have enough money to personally finance a sea voyage. So to bring back exotic goods for you to sell, what do you do? And that's where you uh, see the entrance of the commender. Um, so the commender was used to finance merchant shipping. Passive investors would put up most of the capital and share in the profits of the voyage. In a downside scenario, they couldn't lose more than they put in. Their liability was limited. You know, it sounds very familiar to what we see uh, today. Um, so that led to things like the Dutch East India uh, Company. And we talk about the birth of the retail investor. Um, and that was helped by, uh, I guess, life, expect life expectancy. So life expectancy um, in the 1800s was quite low. It's in the 25 to 40 kind of years range across uh, the globe. And obviously people, some people did live longer than that. But um, for the wider population, life expectancy was low. Um, so taking a look at what happened over those next 150 years as that rose to where it is uh, today, um, or, you know, in this case, it's only life expectancy up to uh, 2015, and it's quite high. There's some nations, including Australia, where it's a very high level of life expectancy. And so that ability to uh, live longer, meaning that we need to preserve more of goods, capital, um, investment becomes very, very important. And so they look at life, I'm sorry, child mortality going down, life expectancy increasing in countries like England and Wales. Uh, and then they took it, take, they take a look at uh, other kinds of charts here as well. So what ended up happening was that there was a rise of cheap diversification, as Nick points out in his article. Um, if you wanted to invest in US businesses in 1920, for example, you didn't have many options, but you either had to buy um, the business yourself or purchase individual stocks. There's nothing wrong with doing either of these, but both strategies are very, uh, or sorry, can be quite risky, at least historically. It wasn't until the invention of the mutual funds that came about in the 1920s and the index fund in the 1970s, Jack Bogle, we've got to thank for that. Um, it wasn't until then that diversification became easier for the average investor to acquire. So it wasn't um, necessarily cheap, 
um, but it was a way for further um, you know, entrance to the market. And then we saw further uh, innovation with ETFs and we'll continue to see further diversification with the influx of all of these different types of uh, cheaper ways to trade, the discount kind of brokerages and the ones that are on apps on your phone that just make life a lot easier. So where do we go to now? Um, so he says it's difficult to make predictions, especially about the future, um, an old phrase. There's a hyperlink to where that comes from. Um, but he sees it as being mass customization. And we already see a lot of that with the thematic type ETFs, people that are interested in cloud computing or things um, like say ESG and having products that come to market that address those concerns. So more, we're already seeing customization. So he sees that there's further customization that comes up. Um, but how would this look, for example? Unfortunately, creating a portfolio that is specific to your life isn't necessarily cheap or easy today, but one day it will be. So yeah, it'll be really interesting to see whether this is something that plays out. Um, he's got a Finviz chart here showing the uh, S&P 500 and the various uh, sectors and, um, and equities that make that up. Um, so yeah, it's definitely, uh, so for example, um, this in this case here is if you have a huge um, Apple position and you can't sell for tax purposes, you could potentially create a portfolio that is the S&P 500 X Apple. So imagine being able to do that. Before you would have had to buy all of these individual companies, but with perhaps technology and further innovation around ETFs um, and customization of these products, it might be possible to do just these very types of things. So. Yeah, we look forward to seeing what kind of innovation comes out uh, across the world and hopefully makes it to Australia. And the next couple are from Livewire. So um, there's one here from uh, the Livewire team talking about, or in this case, sorry, it's from Jordan Elysio from, P, uh, from the Perth Mint. They've got an ETF called PM Gold. So he talks about, uh, and with the help of a couple of charts, we love um, a great set of charts here, um, talking about uh, the expectations in gold and um, superannuation funds potentially joining the gold rush. There's a couple of key economic indicators here. He talks about what some of the numbers have said in terms of gold performance over that past little while and just further information there. So it's not all about performance. Um, there's also the risk adjusted returns alone could uh, justify gold allocation in a portfolio, but there's other benefits um, of holding precious metals. So. For example, uh, he talks about here an allocation to gold will also likely improve liquidity as well as lower the investment costs and credit risk of an institutionally managed portfolio. So there are other metrics apart from just performance or being a hedge against uh, a downturn in the markets. So historical um, figures and details and the great thing is there's always an outlook there as well. Another Livewire article is one that we featured in thanks to uh, reporter Ali Selby, taking a look at what's happened in the markets, uh, the exchange traded funds markets here locally over the last year. So taking a look at the LIC and LIT market, um, the breakup of that with some charts from the ASX, and then also taking a look at ETPs, exchange traded products as a whole, right? Uh, so we take a look at some of the further bits of data from the ASX and then uh, she took a look at what um, were the majority of inflows, the size of that and where that was going. And we used ETF Tracker to help provide that information with details coming from the ASX and ChiX as well. 
who was leading um, in that space, as well as like what was also of interest. And we saw ESG related ETFs making a bit of a splash in um, FY21 as they did in FY20 as well. So 1.7 billion in inflows of the 4.2 billion in total just came in financial year 2021. So nearly half came last year. So that was already growing quite fast. It's nearly doubled again. So definitely something big there. Um, taking a look at what's next for ETFs and where growth is likely to go. And we took a look at um, my picks for what I would be very interested in in terms of looking at for ETFs. It's around the technology plays as well as ESG. So definitely take a look at that if you haven't seen it already. Livewire, you do need to sign up, but it is free as an investor to take a look at. Um, there's another. Uh, there's an article here from Best ETFs. They're looking at particular um, ETFs. In this case, it's MNRS. Um, that is an, a beta shares global gold miners uh, ETF. So there's a couple that are gold uh, type ETFs. Whether it is exposed to, uh, I guess you could say the 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 diggers, um, the the equipment providers uh, of of gold or the commodity um, the precious metal itself so definitely take a look at like pm gold we just mentioned there there's qau gdx um, mnrs that we can see here and a few others and gold as well gold uh, so they take a look at what mnrs does they talk about the funds under management talking about fees and costs and just potentially how to trade that but also some of the things to look out for like what do you want to check there. So do you get regular cash returns, long-term growth potential, low fees? And if you do, then definitely take a look at investing in that. So Best ETFs is uh, an ETF publication provided by the folks at Rask, um, so Owen Raskowitz. So definitely check that out there. The next couple of articles, so uh, here from Investopedia. So if you're not already looking at um, Investopedia, I suggest that you do because they've got a wealth of information not necessarily about Australia, but just investing in general. And in this case, even though it is a US-based um, provider, um, Grayscale, and what is going on in the Bitcoin markets overseas is definitely worth looking at for uh, investors here as well. So um, there's a couple of ETF providers here that are looking at listing a, a Bitcoin or crypto type ETF and ASIC has put out a consultation paper on that. So hopefully that is all positive and we'll see some further movements in that space. And hopefully there'll be a way for investors who want to get exposure to crypto, but don't want to you know, invest in a single coin um, necessarily itself. Potentially an ETF could do the trick there. So in this case, they take a look at um, Grayscale's movements towards further becoming an Bitcoin ETF giant. Um, they appointed a New York-based custodian, BNY Mellon, to do the accounting and administrative services. So that will start in October. So there hasn't been further movement yet from the SEC, but just the fact that uh, a large Bitcoin um, fund, Grayscale Investments, is appointing someone like this is potentially a good sign that there will be you know, positive movement towards a Bitcoin ETF. So hopefully we see that, um, but time will tell. And then finally, in terms of the articles that we show here, um, there's one that is local and closer to home. And I found this quite interesting. So what happened was that uh, someone tagged on LinkedIn this article here. And when you take a look at it, it turns out that um, Senator Andrew Bragg um, jumped onto Reddit 
to do an AMA, AMA standing for Ask Me Anything. And he says here, I am Senator Andrew Bragg. I am sharing a Senate inquiry on the regulation of cryptocurrency and digital assets. Ask me anything. And so the great thing about this article from bitsofblocks.io is that they summarize what was going on in that Reddit talk, but you can also go directly to the Reddit uh, talk here. So we can jump to that. But just in terms of the summary, um, emerging themes that they spoke about were tax confusion, specifically, specifically the treatment of digital currency as an asset being a particular point of friction as it inhibits the use of digital currency as a currency. Noting the developments in many payment providers enabling digital currency as a payment mechanism, perhaps that is worth revisiting. Second one was striking the balance over regulating hinders innovation. Under regulation creates uncertainty. So definitely something to look at there. And then international comparison, the excitement in the potential for digital currencies and assets were demonstrated through a variety of international comparisons of some countries pioneering blockchain innovations and their regulatory framework set up to do so. They allude to that further down here. Um, there's a very famous uh, or growing in fame bill, the Wyoming bill. Um, Andrew said that it was very interesting as, their as is their whole regulatory framework. We'll see what we can learn from them as well as we'll have a good look at Singapore and the UK. So if you take a look at Reddit, um, there were 132 comments on that thread. So we can take a look at that, view the entire discussion. And you can see all of the questions that people asked here. So some were short and sweet and some had quite a lot of detail to them that um, Senator Bragg answers. So definitely worth trawling through and taking a look if you're interested in that space. And let's just close those up. And then going back to it, the videos, most of them came from Ausbiz. So nearly every day they'll have some sort of um, discussion about some from, from someone in the market, whether it's a wealth manager or one of the ETF issuers, they'll talk about uh, ETFs. So we saw on the 22nd, um, what's the holy grail for ETF investors and e-invest went on there. They gave us a bit of a plug. So thank you very much for that. They spoke about um, just different ways, different types of questions that investors should ask before they get involved in ETF. So that's a good, a really good one if you're just getting started. So make sure you click on that link and you'll get directly taken to Ausbiz. And if you haven't already signed up, make sure you do. They provide a free news service for investors to take a look at what's going on in the markets. There's very intelligent conversations on there. We get to go on there from time to time. So um, hopefully we are all adding to, you know, the education in the market and just helping investors better understand what's going on there. Um, another one that came out earlier in that day was how to get defensive and mid-market volatility. So it was a chat with Andrew Wyland of DP Wealth Advisory about market volatility and what sort of defensive measures people should have in their portfolio. Another one was from investing in the AI megatrend and the ETF issuer ETF securities had Kanish Chug. Um, on there on how investors can play the AI trend with their robo ETF. So definitely take a look at that. And then there was another one from um, the CEO of BTC Markets, Carolyn Bowler, talking about Elon Musk's influence on crypto land. Is it fading? Um, and she discusses the things about the hype, dives a little bit deeper into the asset consultation paper that we mentioned earlier. And so definitely worthwhile looking at that if you're interested in crypto ETFs potential. And then another one, which is great, is the compounds. So from Wrightholes Wealth Management, um, usually it's Josh Brown and Michael Batnick on there, as well as their guests. 
um, they talk about in this one here, uh, here's that dip you said you would buy. So this is the US market's focus chat looking at a bunch of topics. And in this episode, it's on buying the dip. They talk about the Robin Hood IPO, hedging versus dollar cost averaging and more. We also listen podcasts. The Equity Mates guys um, have stuff that comes out on the daily. But um, one of the interesting ones from last week was this one on six high condition stocks from the experts for your watch list. Uh, there was also a chat with Emma Kirk of Magellan Group, who have quite a number of ETFs that was on shares for beginners. And then ETF Edge from CNBC had uh, something on sell-off strategies and top inflation beneficiaries. ETF Prime um, had something on the launch of uh, launching an ETF, Ross Gerber launching an ETF and the role of social media. So definitely take a look at that. We mentioned the ETF Securities Weekly ETF Monitor. And when we click on that link, um, each week they will show from the previous week, in this case, so last week, uh, on I think it was uh, when did this one come out? It, it was for the end of the week, so the 16th. So that was the Friday of the week before. So on Monday or Tuesday, I think it was, either the 19th or the 20th, this ETF monitor comes out. It's a PDF. So when you click on that and download it, and you open it up, there is a number of um, tables that they provide that give you a weekly kind of update as to what's going on in the markets. And that's quite tiny. So let's just zoom in. Uh, and the first set of tables here are performance monitors. So they look at one week total returns, year to date total returns, as well as 12 month year to date total returns. So you get the top performers and the bottom performers. So in terms of last week for that one week period to Friday, July 16th, it was the ETF securities physical palladium, uh, physical platinum play that was up 5.1%. Um, they also take a look at flows. So last week, it was another um, ETF in the ESG space, Ethi, which had the most flows for that week, 47 million going into the Ethi ETF, followed by IOZ um, and then Qual, Q-U-A-L. And they've got a couple of other kind of measures there. So there's two pages of data. So definitely something worth looking at if you want to get a quick insight into what is the latest of what is happening in the market. ETF Tracker just gets the data on a monthly basis at this stage. So definitely look at ETF securities and their weekly monitor for more information there. Uh, we've got the tweet. So, you know, we'll have a picture of the week or tweet of the week. We'll have the chart of the week. In this case, it was something that was done on what was the FUM growth year to year based on the data that comes out of the ASX and CHI-X. And what we saw in the data was that from the July 1 to June 30 period over the last couple of years, 2018, 19, 20, it was about 30% growth year on year consistently for the Australian ETF markets. And in 2021, it was up to 73% growth. Now, a lot of that was helped by the listing of these closed-ended funds. But even if you took those out, it was still strong growth on the ASX uh, and Chi-X ETF markets. So we take a look at that. Um, we mentioned the education. So we'll always have something in there on that, the ETF Tracker Forum and social media. And so that's it. Uh, this is the catch-up of what happened last week in the world of Australian ETFs. And if you're interested, make sure you subscribe to Exchange Traded Fridays. You can do that by going to www.etftracker.com.au. That's etftracker, all one word, .com.au, and hit subscribe. So I'm Mark. Thanks for your time and happy investing.